You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. So hello, Spot On listeners, I'm back and I brought with you the trend person. This is the person that I listen to or read about every year. Her name is Janet Helm. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and she's also a culinary professional who's really built her career around nutrition communications and marketing. And really, she has been writing about food trends before we knew what the heck food trends were. And, you know, every year, around this time, you know, everybody writes what their prediction of food trends is, but I only go to Janet. That's it. Because that's it. because you know something, that's the only one. You've been doing it for 100,000 years and you're on top of your game. So I only go to the source. So Janet, with that, I want to just welcome you to Spot On. Thank you, Joan. And thank you for your kind words. You know, I am a little bit obsessed with food trends. You're right about that. And so it is my favorite thing to talk about, to write about. And I think more and more we are interested in what are we going to be eating and drinking in the new year? You know, it's so funny, Janet, because all of my friends will say that, okay, so what's the food this year? Like, what, what's the trends going to be? What's the food that year? So they're just going to have to listen to this episode because I'm not, I'm not spilling the beans here. So before we start, Janet wrote an article in U.S. News and World Report all about this new food trends for the year. And uh, we're going to post this on the Spun On Facebook page. But um, I want to dive into it, unbox it. But what I love what you do is you don't just go to one report. You like comb all of the world to get these trends. So can you tell everybody how you get, how do you come up with your list? Yes. No, a good point. I mean, trend spotting is a bit of an art and a science. So the art part, I'm, I'm a very keen observer of food culture, but also the science part, you need data. You need data to really ground it in, in what's not a fad, what maybe has a is truly a trend that has some staying power. And there's different ways that we use data to look at data and the sources that I pull from. Some of the reports are, are really focused on food service because oftentimes trends start at a restaurant and they might start at fine dining. They may start, you know, in more of a, a you know, street food, um, but they often start in restaurants. So there's some great data that looks at menu penetration. What's trending on restaurant menus? What are chefs excited about? So some are food service based. Some data are, are consumer surveys. Some are looking at new product innovations, like where, what, what's been introduced in the last year as far as new products. Um, some are even using artificial intelligence or just using lots of data from different sources, maybe what's, what people are searching for, what's, what's trending on TikTok. I mean, so it's using different data points to look at some predictions. So it's pulling from a lot of different things and maybe, you know, Yelp, reviews or what people are ordering on Grubhub. You know, so there's lots of different ways to look at 
what kind of peaked this year and what's the trajectory going to look like um, in the coming year? So that's what I tried to do with my article was, is just what were lots of different people saying, some food service, some consumer interviews, um, some artificial intelligence, but it's all about predicting, you know, what's going to stay next year. And, and what will we be talking about? What do we want to buy? What are the recipes people want to make? So it's all of those factors coming together. Something you mentioned in the article, there was like a theme. And, and when it came to global food, it was, you said in the article, and again, we're going to post this on the spot on Facebook page, quote unquote, under pressure. What did you mean by that? Yes. Well, the, there's a group in the UK that I, I really like a lot as far as I look at global food culture. It's called the Food People. And they've identified as the single major driver of trends in 2023 is under pressure. Because of global you know, instability, people are want to control their health more. They want to control their finances. Uh, we've had so many you know, climate emergencies, extreme weather, whether it's floods or fires. You know, so people are really getting serious about climate change. So we're looking at the pressure of that and trying to make more choices, better choices uh, for planetary health, not just personal health, but planetary health now. So all of that is just kind of the, the pressure that we're all feeling to control our health, to improve the planet, the environment, and our finances. The, the finances coming into 2023, you know, is a major factor with food inflation and, you know, record food prices, gas prices. So that's absolutely impacting um, food culture in the coming year. You know, uh, the food prices are, is out of control. I mean, the food prices, like I, I go in and want to buy something and I feel like I'm buying a Mercedes Benz. You know, I I, I'm sorry, I don't want to drive it home. I just want to eat it. And it is, I mean, the sticker shock is out of this world. So that that's interesting that the under pressure, now I understand exactly what you're talking about and we're right. And you know something, it kind of feels good that everybody's under pressure. You feel like, is this only me? Am I the only one feeling crazy? But now we're all in this together. So you, we talk about some certain categories. And the first one you talk about is the evolution of plant-based foods. And I found what you said to be fascinating. So why don't you share that with us? Yes. Well, you know, there's a lot of hype about plant-based meat alternatives. Um, and they were like the big, you know, major trend. Um, and some people like, you know, there was a lot of hype. You wanted to try them. They're suddenly everywhere. But actually, they they stalled during the last two years of the pandemic. You know, some of the, the shine has, you know, worn off. And, you know, there's still, that's plant-based still is a macro trend, no doubt. But the meat alternative category suffered a bit. One, they're expensive. So coming into 2023, they're a little pricey. But some of them just did not stack up to real meat as far as taste. And then some people were concerned about processing. You know, what are the ingredients? They're kind of scrutinizing them a bit more. What are the ingredients? Um, and some even environmental activists are saying, are these even more sustainable than real meat? So, you know, we're still going to see the, the best ones, you know, continue to, to be around in the next year. Absolutely. They're not going away, but people are kind of shifting to, let's put the plant more in plant-based meat 
And so, so they're looking at really celebrating the plant and not trying to mimic meat, but celebrating the plant. So whether that's a bean burger instead of something that's trying to taste like ground beef, uh, or maybe it's seaweed, which is going to be, we're going to see a lot more plants from the sea in 2023, um, as well as mushrooms. Mushrooms have always had kind of a meaty taste. So we're going to see a lot more mushrooms too. So plant-based, absolutely macro trend, but it's going to be more about the plant versus always trying to mimic meat. And I think what, what I also like to see is people are are really kind of gravitating to less meat, not meat less, always. Right, right. And you know, let me tell you something. You know that I'm Italian. So, you know, I'll eat anything that's not moving. And I love everything. And people say that, do you eat meat? I said, you're, you're darn straight, I eat meat. I eat chicken, I eat fish, I eat everything. I eat beans, I eat everything. And you know something, there's, there's something about that when you say plant-based, and even the dietary guidelines, we didn't say it had to be only plant. We just had put more of them on your plate. And the portion, the protein portion, can be anything. And it, and it can be beans, it can be soy, but it, there's no problem with meat, fish, poultry, and there's a lot of nutrients that bioavailable in animal products, such as iron. And so, you know, like you just said, it's not, you know, meatless, it's just less of the meat and more of the vegetables. And that's where the science really is, is, is more of the vegetables. It absolutely is. And, and that's why I like the term a, a bit more plant-forward, you know, rather than plant-based, because I think there's a lot of confusion. That means I need to only eat plants. It's not about only plants, but it's about an abundance of plants or, or plant-forward meals um, is, is what I like to, cons- you know, refer to it rather than just calling it plant-based where people are confused about that term. That's right. That's right. I always use plant-forward and I'm using that forever. The second one you talked about, you kind of alluded to this already, this whole thing about climate-friendly crops. I mean, holy schmoly. I mean, you got drought in California. You got floods in other places. I mean, this is craziness. So what has, you know, how has that affected the farmer, poor farmer? Mother Nature is just not nice sometimes. Absolutely. There, there's been a whole, you know, kind of movement to more, you know, climate-friendly crops that can withstand drought. So they're either, you know, indigenous grains, hybrid grains. There's a grain called Kernza that was developed by the Land Institute in Kansas. That's a perennial grain that's a bit more climate friendly. So we're seeing, you know, farmers change the kind of crops that they grow. Um, But we're also seeing, we're going to see a lot more claims related to climate in the coming year. So whether that's regenerative agriculture. So labels on food products, we're going to see more, you know, uh, crops that are grown that, that really focus on soil health or, or biodiversity of crops. So we're going to see claims on climate friendly terminology, whether that's net zero or carbon neutral or carbon positive. So there's a lot of different, you know, environmental claims because people are interested in, in trying to make a difference when it comes to the environment. That's right. And, you know, you said in the article something very interesting about ancient grains. And and if you go ancient grains, like millet, 
you know, it doesn't maybe need as much water or maybe can sustain high temperatures. So, you know, there's something about going back to what originally was grown. So it's helping that, you know, adjust to what's going on in the environment. It's phonio, it's icorn. There are a lot of ancient grains that we're going back to those because they can withstand or the, you know, mostly drought, but, you know, a lot, lot going on with the changing of the crops that are more indigenous or are ancient grains. Absolutely. Your, your third one on your list, and this is this is interesting because, you know, last year um, we did the whole thing on mocktails and, and the sober curious. And this is really, a, uh, this cracked me up when you said drinks for a damp lifestyle. So in other words, rather than doing like a dry January, it's a damp January. So can you explain what damp is? <laughs> Yeah, again, it's the idea of, of less meat uh, or instead of meat less. The same thing with alcohol. You know, it's mindful drinking. It's cutting down, not out. So be a little damp. So whether it is drinking in moderation, um, maybe it's just drinking some on the weekends and not during the week. Or what's, what's being created are these um, low ABV drinks. So it's not zero proof, you know, which are totally like the no alcohol, but it's low alcohol. So it is, you know, um, wine now is there, there's a wine that is a, you know, low alcohol wine. So it's where you're having a little bit, but maybe you're cutting in half what you would drink. So, you know, it's the idea that's, you know, it's not all or nothing. You know, you don't have to be dry. You can be a little damp and still enjoy, you know, a cocktail, not making it a zero proof cocktail, but some of the more low ABV cocktails that are available um, now. So, you know, and I, I like that trend that it is, you know, you're, you're able to still fit it in and enjoy it without going completely dry. So tell us, you know, my listeners, what you mean by ABV. That is ABV. You'll see that it is alcohol by volume is what that stands for. So they're low ABV drinks, very much the trend, just like the trend of flexitarian, like there's hybrid meats, that's not plant-based meat, that's 50% meat, 50% vegetable. So it's a hybrid. So low ABV, alcohol by volume, are low alcohol spirits or low alcohol um, wine now that you can get. Right, because I'll tell you what, what has happened in many years past is the alcohol consumption of some red wines is really, really high. And, you know, you have a, a an ABV that's very high in alcohol and like, woo, one glass of Cabernet. And you're like, woo, that one hit me. So it, I like this because then you can sip and enjoy and, and have that damp dinner. I love it. All right. You talked about the price. And so you on your list was thrift and frugality. So tell us what people are going to be doing with that in mind. Well, you know, food prices definitely on people's mind and concerns. So looking at how to manage a food budget. And as registered dietitians, we often talk about this, how to eat well on a budget. And so I think that people are looking at how they can still have, have healthy meals, um, meals that the family enjoys, but whether they might be, you know, looking at buying in bulk more, or they might be looking at private label. They might be certainly just the idea of cooking more at home um, will help save money. 
So people will be looking at cooking from scratch, buying fewer prepared foods, cooking from scratch, and also food waste. Food waste is a big one. So I think, you know, we think about the waste of money when you have, you know, food spoil in your fridge. So people are going to be looking at ways to reduce food waste, um, you know, as far as a money saving tactic. And people may be eating less meat because of um, food prices, but they also still want meat. But it's about what, how do you cook some of the less expensive cuts of meat? So I think we're going to see a demand for that. How, what do you do with beef chuck? You're not going to buy filet, but what do you do with beef chuck, pork shoulder, chicken thighs? So I think it's the idea of, of you know, less expensive meats, but cooking them well, maybe changing how you would normally prepare meat. Uh, Yelp identified oxtail as a big trend in the coming year. So a less expensive cut uh, of beef. You know, what you said, buying in bulk is so spot on. I love chicken thighs. I like them more than chicken breasts, even, you know, they're cheaper. But I just went to the store last night and chicken thighs a pound was two seventy nine a pound. But if you bought it in the bulk three pound of chicken thighs, so you had chicken thighs for a year, uh, it was $1.79. That's a big difference per pound. So, you know, what the heck, buy the bulk, divide it up into three one pound bags, Use your freezer for more than ice cubes. And, you know, you just saved a buck a pound. And that's and in these days, that's a heck of a lot of money. That is. No, the freezer is your friend. So I think anytime that you can buy larger quantities and, and put some in the freezer for sure. Uh, but buying in bulk in certain cases, say nuts, you really have to look at prices like some of like the big bulk containers in the, you know, in the grocery store may not always be cheaper than some of the prepackaged. So you still have to look at prices, but certainly when it comes to chicken thighs and meat like that, absolutely buy the largest quantity that you can um, store in your freezer. Right, right. You also said in this list was real and recognizable. That was going to be a trend. And and you, you, had, you said something, and I've been really reading this a lot, about natural sweeteners, like dates. I love dates. Dates, are, to me, oatmeal in the morning with dates and some nuts, I'm in heaven. You know, and so tell us about that. So we're going to be looking more for natural. Tell us that. Yes. So I think, you know, people want, people have been tuned in more to the level of processing of foods. There's been a lot written about ultra processed foods. So I think consumers now are, are really focused on that and the ingredients label. It's not just the nutrition label, it's the ingredient label too. So, you know, consumers really are looking more at that. And one of the things they're trying to reduce are, are artificial sweeteners. So the natural sweeteners are, are getting more of, you know, recognized by consumers of something that they want. And Whole Foods, one of their, Whole Foods always does a trend report and I think they do um, a good job and they've identified dates as the natural sweetener of the year. And more and more products are sweetened with dates. So whether it's date syrup or date paste, so you're, it's in a lot of beverages now um, instead of, of, of cane sugar. Um, it's in a lot of, of, you know, like protein bars and, and lots of, you know, it's even in oatmeal and overnight oats and some products. So you'll see a lot more that's sweetened with, with date syrup or, or date paste. 
And, and you know, Jenny, you get you know, two or three for the price of one because when you get the dates, you know, it's not it's so sweet, you know, naturally sweet, but you get fiber, you get potassium. So you're sweetening whatever the oatmeal or the cookie or whatever with more nutrition. And that it, it tastes delicious. And also the idea that people are going back to real butter too, rather than, you know, low calorie spreads, they want a little bit of the real butter. So it's the idea of, of real quality counts, you know, rather than always, you know, the, the diet version of something. Right. The next one on your list was, I love this one, great, flavor tourism. So basically you're saying that you're not necessarily going to pack your passport, go globetrotting around the world, but how is it going to affect your plate? Well, I think that because we have been um, not able to travel like we've all wanted to the last two years, I mean, it's certainly opening up now, but I think it's made people want to explore global cuisines more than ever. So I think that global food, new flavors, uh, street food in particular, is going to be really popular in, in the coming year. And, and one uh, group, Restaurant Consultants, identified Filipino as the cuisine of the year. Um, and also one of this, and I've seen this certainly pop up all over Instagram, is ube, the Filipino purple sweet potato. That is showing up everywhere. It's so vibrant in color, so it's certainly Instagram friendly, but that that's one of their ingredients that they've identified. But I think it's like all types of global cuisine right now, certainly a lot from um, you know, Asian cuisines. I, I think also the interesting thing about kind of the flavor tourism is that we're seeing these interesting mashups of, of two different cuisines coming together. And that used to be that, you know, the idea of fusion was almost a dirty word. Like, okay, it's gotta be authentic. You know, you don't do that. But now, because, you know, particularly Gen Z, I mean, this is a very culturally diverse, you know, generation. And I think the idea of, of taking the best of your own, you know, culture, you know, um, and, and mashing two together, that that's okay now to do. And so we're seeing some really interesting combinations of, of these global mashups. And, and I think, you know, we wanting to, we're wanting to experience that when we go out to dinner as well, you know, and I think that those are the restaurants that are really thriving, you know, as restaurants are kind of coming back now, you know, surviving the, the pandemic and they're kind of roaring back. Um, people want some of those new, you know, culinary experiences. So you have like the UN on your plate, you know, United Nations, and we're all sitting around together and fusing and getting along. It tastes great. So the last one, last one on your list, and I love this was a great way to uh, end, end your fabulous list, was called Joy and Distraction. So can you tell us what that is? Yes, because, you know, we have suffered these last two years and, and kind of the under pressure, uh, you know, trend as well, that um, the idea that we just want food to continue to bring us joy. And, and joy is going to be a major driver of some of the culinary trends. And what we're seeing is, you know, maybe it's a distraction to some of the things that are uh, other parts of our life that are going on. So, so some of that may be, you know, nostalgic foods that that's going to continue. That was certainly a big trend during the pandemic, but it's going to continue to be um, a, a trend in the coming year, but they might be modern interpretations 
of our childhood favorites. So, you know, an elevated mac and cheese or our PB and J. So nostalgia will continue to be a major driver. But the, also the idea of, and Yelp really um, identified this as a trend, that we want really kind of unique, immersive dining experiences when we go out. All part of bringing the joy or kind of the shared experience with our family and friends. So they identified um, experimental dining as one of theirs. The increase over 200% of underwater restaurants grew, you know, or our dinner theater. But restaurants are, are really offering some unique experiences when people now are going back to out to eat. They really want something that is you know, immersive and, and entertaining. And so it's all part of that joy and distractions. So, so when I read your article, and again, she wrote, Janet wrote a wonderful article in U.S. News and World Report, and this underwater dining, I, I, I said, I got to Google this. And I looked at some of these restaurants. Unfortunately, a lot of them are in one place, uh, Maldives, so they're not no, right around the corner here. But I was watching them and saying, like, oh, my goodness gracious, you're like, the restaurant is underwater. And the only one I could find that I could probably get to was in Nashville. It was, it was an aquarium, that you were in an aquarium eating. And I said, that's probably the only one I'm going to be able to visit. But I bet, Janet, when I get to that, that uh, aquarium in Nashville, that restaurant, they are going to have PB and J and dates. I bet <laughs> dates are going to be on the peanut butter sandwich, right? Because now that's going to be the sweetener underwater or in an aquarium this year as we do that. So anyway, this was so, so exciting. Again, we're going to put the article that Janet wrote. Uh, you know, her predictions are always spot on. We're going to put this up on the Spot On Facebook page so you can read it. But I can't wait to um, go into 2023 and do some uh, really, really joyful and sweet, naturally sweet dining. So with that, Ms. Janet, I want to thank you so much for coming on Spot On. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?